If you missed last week, we started this series called The Force for multiple reasons. One, we obviously really liked Star Wars. Uh, By your reaction when asked earlier, I'm not sure you do. You need to go watch it. It's awesome. Um, Also, the main reason, the better reason that we're doing this series is we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Some of you grew up in a different translation of the Bible. It was called the Holy Ghost. It's God's spirit. We're talking about that for about three weeks because, frankly, some of us are weirded out by the idea of the Holy Spirit. Many of us are like, oh, I like God, that Holy Spirit. Don't don't understand that. It's weird. Let's not talk about that. And this fourth generation in a row pastor, I was raised, and I cannot even remember a sermon on the Holy Spirit. And I think it's because we can't fully describe the Holy Spirit, weirds us out in some ways. But for three weeks, we're sitting on this talking about You and I and God and who God is, because if you don't know the Holy Spirit, if you don't know what you need to know about the Holy Spirit, you're missing out on the full life that God designed for you. So that's what we're talking about. For those of you going, Holy Spirit, oh, we're about to get weird up in here. No, we're not going to. It's not going to happen that way. Don't imagine what you see on TV. Not happening. But I want to unfold to you an incredible part of God that that I think will change your life. I got to start with a story, though. We all like stories. This is a an embarrassing one that you can just make fun of me for the rest of my life for, and I will not, well, I won't fully hate you for it, but, but I just, so at our house, we have a backyard, and beyond the backyard is still more land. It's not our land. Uh, the owner of it does not live in our neighborhood. It's just a plot of land. It's a triangle, worthless piece of land, except if it, well, it connects to our backyard, so we use it. Now, in South Dakota, if you don't mow the grass, the grass gets high, and snakes like to live in the grass, and I hate snakes. So the way to solve this problem is to mow that grass, even though it's not my grass. I'm from Kansas. If you do this for seven years, that land becomes your land, but that's a whole other conversation. <clears throat> but so I've been, I've been mowing that grass. Now, now that dramatically, dramatically increased the amount of grass I was having to mow. So one, I taught my son how to mow the grass. Two, I strategized and uh, let's just say was able to convince my wonderful wife we need a riding lawnmower. I just wanted one. And so now we, we, we live on a budget, and, and we're not ones who can just go buy a riding lawnmower. So I, I found a friend who would sell his riding lawnmower for $250. If you've ever bought a riding lawnmower, you understand that I did not get a nice riding lawnmower. Usually you tag on another $1,000 in the lease to get a riding lawnmower, but $250, it ran. It was not pretty. It was made in the 90s, 90s? Great music, not good lawnmowers, but great music. That's when music used to be good. So, so I, I started this. We had this riding lawnmower, and, and, and we'd use it and mow the grass and, and, and all this great stuff. Well, one day I, I uh, <clears throat> hit a rock, and, and the rock bent the blade, so I didn't want to take the whole deck off the bottom of it, so I just tipped the lawnmower over, bent back the blade, set it back down. Let's keep on mowing. Uh, I don't know how to do stuff, like mechanic-wise, but that's how you do it. And, and the problem was, when I did that, I tipped out uh, a little bit, or a lot, of oil. And in my head, I'm thinking, I will get back to that sometime, someday, somehow. I will put more oil when I remember, and I didn't re- remember at all. And so it started breaking down, and so here's what I did, is I'm going to fix my mower. I don't know if those of you who like to fix things can fix things. I am talking to you, confessing to you, I don't know how to fix anything. Like, absolutely anything. If it's mechanical, if it's a car, a lawnmower. Uh, I grew up in a family where we hired people to do that. If, if uh, some plumbing, something happened, you called a plumber. 
If electrical stuff was going on, you called the electrician to come fix stuff. And in our case, when I was growing up, we had a John Deere riding lawnmower. It was my job to mow the lawn. We had lots of trees with roots. I hit those roots and often broke the lawnmower. So my dad would say, oh, I know what to do. And he would call somebody. That somebody would come with a big truck and would pick up the lawnmower, go fix the lawnmower, bring it back all clean and nice and shiny. And I thought, this was awesome. I want to live the rest of my life like this. Now, I grew up, I got married, we had kids, and not everybody can afford to do that kind of thing. And I'm thinking, well, my lawnmower's breaking down, something's going on, so I will fix it. I did what anyone would do. I went to YouTube. (laughs) I don't know what to do, I just know that there's some problems, and with YouTube, you can just type in your problem and see tons of videos of people you don't know, and you don't frankly know if they know what they're talking about, but they'll tell you how to fix your mower. And so I started applying some of the things that they were telling me. I fixed the battery, I fixed the solenoid for those of you who are nerding out and loving this, and, and it still wouldn't work. And so I talked to some friends who work with our car ministry at the church, and they said, well, I know this sounds pretty like, like obvious, David, but have you checked the oil? I'm like, the oil. This past week, I took our lawnmower to the steel recycling plant The guy had a lot of fun with the crane. He picked the lawnmower up with the crane out of the truck and threw it like it was a piece of paper. (laughs) And then for his enjoyment, not mine, he squished it and I was like, that was my mower. (laughs) Now don't forget, I didn't tell you this, but uh, right when I pulled up, he's like, hey, mower, what's wrong with it? As though, hey, I'll fix it and take it. I'm like, no, it's it's hopeless. For more shame, I, I didn't change the oil. And he's like, oh, yeah, I think you've seen other people do that, and I don't confess it like I just confessed it to you. But uh, there's been other things I've tried to fix at our house, and then I've called the person who knows how to fix it to come fix what I've messed up, and then the original thing. And Now, some of you, you're like, you're an idiot, but you also have had issues, too. Some of you have projects at your house that you call projects that you say if you had enough time, you would get to it, but frankly, you don't know how to do it, so you're blaming time. And you're like, there's this problem. No, no, no. Some of us have had, let's go a little bit deeper, a little bit more serious. You've had relationship stuff that uh, you've tried to make work. Remember that boyfriend or girlfriend that you started dating? This is awesome. And then it didn't go awesome. And you're like, you know, I can fix this. And you had the desire for that relationship to work, but uh, you, didn't, you didn't have the ability to do it. And, and, and you've had this where you started school maybe, and you thought that was going to be the semester. That was going to be the semester that everything changed. The grades went up. You were going to be the epic of all epic students and all was going to change. And you had this desire to do this. And, and <clears throat> then the first set of tests came. And okay, next test, you're going to do better on the next test. And, and you want to be a good student, but it didn't play out that way. Jobs often play out that way. You want to be good, and then you aren't. Uh, parents, do we need to raise our hands and have a conversation? You're like, I want to have kids. You start a family. Like, I'm going to be a good parent. Then you have a bad parent day going, what happened? Every parent, whether you admit or not, you've had bad parent days or weeks or years, um, and you've had these seasons. You, you want to be a good parent. You do. You, you really do. But it doesn't play out that way all the time. And you're like, I, I almost give up. What was it like, like, I don't know what to do. I can't do this. I can't fix this. And we've had relationships where we're like, I can't do this. I can't fix this. I can't make this happen. Or a job, you can't fix it. And, and whether it's a mechanical thing with a lawnmower or a relationship, every one of us can lock into a statement that I think we all can say, yes, I've done that before. Here it is. I have the desire, <clears throat> but I don't have the ability. Whether it be a relationship you're trying to make work or a job that you're trying to succeed at or a school that you're trying to achieve in, 
you and I, I think, can identify with, I have the desire, but I don't have the ability. That's a hard thing to admit, by the way. Some of you are like, no, I refuse. I refuse to not, to not have the ability, and you work on it, and you work on it, and you work on it, but frankly, every one of us at some point in our life encounters something that we have the desire to participate in, but we do not have the ability to do it. Now, let's press this even further. Many of us have started or engaged a conversation with God where we started following, loving God. Some of you call it you became a Christian. You started following Jesus. You started going to church. You started putting religion into your life. However you word it, you started trying to make God happy with you. You started trying to be the person that you wanted to be, and so you put everything into it. You wanted to be someone that pleased God, and then you had the next day happen, and it didn't happen the way you wanted it to. You still said to that person what you shouldn't have said to that person. You still didn't do what you shouldn't have done. You, you, all those things begin to unfold. You're like, I've got the desire to be a good Christian, maybe. But every one of us, as pastor of this church, I'll confess to you, I've had many days where I wanted to honor God, please God with my day, and I put my head on my pillow going, I don't ever want to relive that day ever again the rest of my life. Tomorrow I have to spend the next day saying I'm sorry to a lot of people. A lot of us have had those days. If you're willing to have this conversation, I think we can all leave with a great deal more freedom. So I'm going to give you a statement that some of you are going to think is heresy or messed up weirdness. Here it is. Here's what I'm going to help you. Stop trying to be a good Christian. See, some of you are like, I knew this was a cult. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it, and he just proved it. As soon as I can leave, I went, no, no, no. Let me, let, me, let me unfold more of this to you, but stop trying to be a good Christian. You know, you, you have the desire to be a good Christian, and so you try to be a good Christian, and I get to tell you with great deal of pleasure, it, all week long I've been wanting to say this, so you stop trying to be a good Christian. God did not create you so that you would be a good Christian. That was not his intent in making you and crafting you. He wanted to make sure that you knew him and loved him, not that you would fall into some category and be good at it, because here's the frank part of this conversation. You can't be a good Christian. I can't be a good Christian. We're just not good enough to be good Christians. Now, now, here's what's even more freeing. I would say the most popular Christian to ever live wrote in the Bible how bad of a Christian he was. Now, I know some of us are like, well, that sounds horrible. No, I actually find great joy in hearing the great Christian that we know about say how bad of a Christian he was. And I know that sounds morbid, but, but I think it's good for us. And so he wrote in the Bible. In fact, this guy wrote most of the second part of your Bible, the New Testament. He wrote most of it. This guy, Paul, who is notorious for being one of the best Christians to ever live, if you and I were going to categorize people that way, I want you to see something he wrote about himself in Romans. I don't really understand myself. Amen. Right, We can just all agree to that. I don't really understand myself. Four, I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. He doesn't stop there. Jump ahead a little bit. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Anyone identifying with this at all? <laughs> he keeps going, which is awesome. 
I have discovered this principle of life. You're like, oh, good principle in the Bible. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. <sighs> Don't you all feel better? This is stereotypically the best Christian that has ever lived wrote that. Wrote, said, I'm not good at this. I'm not very good at this at all. In fact, when I want to do good, I don't do good. When I don't want to do bad, I do bad. And every one of us, we don't have these conversations in church typically. <laughs> we have them up here. We aren't very good at being Christians. We aren't very good at it because we try to be something that we were never intended to be. God did not make you to be this Christian. And in fact, Jesus didn't come to earth so that you and I would fall in this category of being a Christian. Watch this. John 10 tells us something about when Jesus came. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. If you don't know the thief, the devil, the evil one, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came for you so that you could have life to the full. Again, if you grew up in church and went to Sunday school, your Sunday school teacher never taught you this because they were afraid of what you would do with it. I mean, you're not gonna teach a bunch of kids, hey, live life to the full. <laughs> You'd be like, you go home and tell your parents, what'd you learn? Nothing, don't worry about it. <laughs> we don't teach this stuff because we're afraid of, of where people are gonna take this and, oh, they're gonna live life to the full. Well, what does that mean to them? No, no, no. Jesus came not so that life for you would be horrible or miserable or, or just lacking peace and hope. Jesus came so that you have life to the full, so I would have life to the full. But you cannot have life to the full without Jesus. He did not intend just to say, hey, live life to the full and good luck to you. I'll see you later someday. No, he, you need him in order to live life to the full. In Galatians 2, it says this, my old self has been crucified with Christ. The old life, the old choices. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. Now, if you're smart, you're going, that's impossible for another person to live inside of another person unless you watch sci-fi movies and you're like, that's, that's what goes weird. So what's he talking about? How is he able to live this life to the full? He says, because Christ lives in me. The only way for that to play out is it's the Holy Spirit, God's spirit. That's what he's referring to. Is the reason that my old self is dead and gone and those choices are done and I live life to the full. The reason is, is because God's spirit dwells in me. Now let's review a bit because we've got to understand you and I in order to understand and demystify God's spirit. So here's the parts of you. One, you have a body. Yep, spent all day studying to share that with you. You have a body. Some of you are like, I know. Some of you are like, I know, move on. <laughs> you have a body. Whether you like it or not, whether you appreciate it or not, you have a body. God made your body. You were created by God. You have a body. You have a mind. Do not nudge anybody next to you and make fun because that's just set you up for a great joke. But you have a mind, whether you're proud of it, whether you think it's as sharp as it used to be. You have a mind. Rarely does anyone ever argue with me about having a body. If they do, it's a weird conversation. Rarely does anybody argue with me about having a mind. But if you read your Bible and you know how God created us, he didn't just give you a body. He didn't just give you a mind where you make your choices and have your emotions. You are a spirit, 
other portions of your Bible or other translations call it, you have a soul. If you've ever referred to your soul, your spirit, you were created, and when God made you, you are a spirit, a soul that has a vehicle called the body and the mind. And the most important part of you, just so you know this, if you don't understand this, the most important part of you is your spirit, your soul. In fact, we've talked about a little bit of this, that the only forever part of you, the part of you that's not going to die or pause, is your soul, your spirit. If you don't give attention to your spirit, you have some major issues long, in the long run. Now here's what helps us demystify God. You are a spirit, a soul. God has a spirit. When you and I read it in the Bible, God's Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, whatever version you read, God has a spirit. And you and I have got to understand this in order to walk this out in such a way that is pivotal. So let me, let me help articulate, I'm hoping this articulates for you, how you and I typically see God. Here's the different kinds of gods, for lack of a better word. God, our creator. Many of you understand that when you pray, when you talk to God, or you think about God, in your head you're thinking about God the creator. If you're thinking about the God who made the Black Hills, who made mountains and oceans and made awesomeness all over the place who constructed the human body so perfectly in such a way that it's able to function. You, when you think about and pray to God, you pray to the creator God, the all-powerful God, the God that made everything out of nothing, that kind of God. That God exists, by the way, God the creator. But the very same God is also known as God our Savior. See, I've been talking to you about your spirit, our spirit, our soul. You're not perfect. Every one of us would admit that, or you ought to. And the problem is, is that when you and I die, if your soul is not covered by something perfect, that you can't spend time with the perfect God. God's perfect. You cannot spend time in his presence unless you've fixed your soul problem. So God knew how to fix this. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for us. And his blood being shed, his death covers our sins. Our sins are forgiven. And we one day can be in the very presence of God. And so many of us identify with God, our Savior. When you pray, in your mind, you're talking straight to Jesus. You love Jesus and what he did for you. Those 33 plus years on this earth, what he did is amazing to you and it is amazing. And that's what you identify the most with. When you think about God, you're thinking about Jesus. I want to introduce to you, if you don't already know, an aspect of God that is critical. Very critical. God, our advocate. God, our advocate. Most of us don't think of like, oh, let me tell you about God. God, our advocate. But you need to know that this is perhaps the most important part of walking life out. If you're interested in the conversation about how to live life to the full, how to have God dwell in you, you and I need to know about God, our advocate. Now, there's verses in the Bible that unfold this for us. I'm gonna read this to you. This is in John 14. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Now, let's just stop for a second. Another advocate. Jesus was the advocate, and he's telling everybody, hey, you're gonna have another one. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Verse 17, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. You and I have friends like that. Like, I don't see him, so I don't believe in him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. If you hop to chapter 16, but very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. <clears throat> Let me give you context. Jesus is about to head out of town. I'm paraphrasing. Jesus is about to go 
die and go to heaven. And he's telling everybody around him, all the fellows and the people and the disciples, he's like, hey, I'm leaving. Don't be sad about it. Don't be totally bummed about it. Again, this is the David Canaan paraphrased Bible. But, but very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. See, some of you need to reconcile this. Some of you would think that right now, if Jesus physically were on earth, that would be better. If you've ever processed and thought about this idea, if Jesus were to live on this earth right now, do you think that would be better? And I would argue with you that I don't think that would be better for us. So he's saying, very very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, unless I go away, the advocate, there's an advocate word, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So that word advocate is very important for you and I to understand. So for your pleasure, I dove into the Greek. I know you're like, thank you, David. So advocate in the Greek means parakletos or parakletos. Just think parakeets right now, parakeets. You got parakeets in your head? Or paracletes if you like sports. You're never gonna forget this word now. Parakletos. If you don't know this about your New Testament, your New Testament, when it was first drafted, first written, it was written in Greek. You don't know Greek. Most of us don't know Greek. We don't read Greek. That's why we talk about that's Greek to me. In other words, that's very confusing to me. This word parakletos is the original Greek word written for advocate. So when the Bible describes the Holy Spirit as the advocate, you and I need to understand what the Bible's saying. Here's how it's describing the Holy Spirit. Called to one side, called to one's aid, walks along one side. So this helps us. For those of you who have ever craved for God to walk with you, for God to come to your aid, you are talking about the Holy Spirit. You're talking about this advocate that Jesus said, hey, I'm leaving, but the Holy Spirit is going to be here for you and dwell in you. This is so critical for you and I to understand that God did not just create and say, see ya. He actually created and then saved us and then said, I'm staying, but I'm going to stay in you. So let me sum up the whole Bible for you, for those of you who find the Bible confusing. Here's God's plan for us. God for us. If you read your first part of your Bible, the Old Testament, the Old Testament is full of incredible stories that go well in soap operas and movies. It's intense if you've ever read it. The Old Testament has people getting killed and slaughtered, and as a guy, I absolutely love it. Some of you ladies might like that too. There's also some sweet romantic stories for those of you who like that stuff. But God for us. If you read your Old Testament, you'll see God being for his people. His people were in slavery. He freed them out of slavery. They encountered this big body of water, and he's like, mm, I got this covered, and he split it for him, and they walked through it. They're like, oh, you're hungry? I can rain food down. I've prayed for that, and it hasn't happened to me yet, but God proved himself over and over and over again. If you read the Old Testament, that's the theme of the whole Old Testament. God is for us, but then he needed to deal with our sin problem, our soul problem, our spirit problem. And in order for that to happen, Jesus had to come to this earth, live an absolutely perfect life. You and I can hardly even identify with such a thing. Lived a perfect, sinless life. He came and was with us. For 33 plus years, he dwelt among us, as the Bible says. He literally walked the earth. He had conversations, real body, Jesus Christ, Son of God, God with us in order to save us. And you've got to reconcile this. Some of you are craving that God be with us when I would suggest that you crave 
God in us, it's better. And that's what happened when Jesus went up to heaven. He left his Holy Spirit and said, my spirit will dwell in you if you believe. My spirit will dwell in you. I will be your advocate. Some of you right now are facing mountains that you can't move. Some of you are in valleys so dark you can't see in front of you. You are in these moments where these circumstances are huge and daunting, and you cannot overcome it. You need an advocate. I mean, I've got advocates in my life. You do too, probably. Advocates, people that will come along your side, that will come to your aid. I remember many moments in my life where I made stupid choices, and I would have a friend or a family member call me up and ask me how I'm doing, even though I made stupid choices. And ask me how I'm doing and want to sit down and talk and come to my aid and support me, even though I didn't deserve it. I remember another incident, sitting in a hospital room. Sitting in a hospital room, my mom had just had surgery and and we were waiting for her to get released from the hospital. If you've ever had that experience, it seems like it takes three days, right? Like, please just release us. Let's go. We want to go home. And and it just was taking forever. Eventually, the doctor came in. We get excited. We start picking up our coats. And the doctor says, you're going to need to sit down for a little bit. And the doctor began to tell my mom that she had cancer. And it was a kind of cancer that notoriously and at least statistically never goes away. And we all just sat there. And those are the moments that you need an advocate. And our family began to get around each other. We supported my mom as she went through her treatments. We as a family feelings of hopelessness at times. Those advocates, let's walk by each other's side. You've had those experiences where you've had a mess or a moment, a circumstance, and someone came around you. Ideally, and in theory, the church is supposed to be this, that we walk along each other's sides. When you walk through a mess or even a moment that's awesome, we walk with each other. So let me tell you something about life. You will encounter problems that no person can fix. What's your plan? What's your plan for the problems that you will encounter in which you need an advocate, but there is no person that can do anything for you? There's no person that is good enough that can fix your sin. There's no person that ever ever made that walks this earth right now that can say, hey, I'm good enough for you. I can represent for you. See, there's issues in your life, in my life, in our souls, our spirits, that you need the advocate, the supernatural, the Holy Spirit to be your advocate. There are problems that you will encounter in life that no person is smart enough or strong enough or can anticipate enough for you that you need the Holy Spirit giving you wisdom. If any of you have ever craved wisdom, it's the advocate that will give it to you. If any of you have ever craved strength, boldness, if any of you have not wanted to worry, if any of you wanted patience, you need the advocate to provide that for you. So it presses in a conversation. Have you ever asked the advocate to dwell in you? I mean, that's a part of this. And so God fixed our, our spirit problem. He had a solution for our spirit problem. God didn't just say, hey, I created you. Good luck. Best of luck. Hope you make it to heaven. No, he left an advocate. Watch this. This is in Romans chapter 8. In Romans 8, it unfolds this and how to walk this out. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. No condemnation, if you're interested, let's continue. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. 
Have you ever sinned over and over again and said, I wish I could stop? I wish I didn't keep on doing this. I wish I didn't keep saying that. I wish I didn't keep making these choices. God didn't leave you hanging. God's like, I'm leaving my spirit out. I want my spirit to dwell in you. You need an advocate. I don't know if you ever processed that, that God did not just create and leave. God said, I will be with you. God did not make you so that he could just watch you. I mean, I know we do that with sports. We watch our sports and we love it. And we clap and we, like, go team, that's awesome. That's not what God does in seeing you. He doesn't look at you and go, like, I made you. Boy, I hope you make some good choices. He doesn't create you to watch you. He created you to be with you, to dwell in you, to empower you. And that should be of interest to you. It's a big deal. So I want you to process this. Have you ever felt the presence of God? Have you ever felt God drawing you, pulling you, tugging you? See, some of you are here right now. You're like, he brought me here. <laughs> you're like, you've ever felt God talk to you and you have these feelings. You didn't know the words or how to articulate around what you were feeling. You thought maybe, maybe you ate something weird last night and that's why you're feeling that tug and, and you're wondering maybe it's just something, maybe I'm just being weird. Maybe, no. Have you ever felt that tug, that nudging of the advocate coming to your aid? I asked uh, for a story from our staff. I want to show a story to you. Her, her name's Kimmy. Kimmy told us her story, a story about her experience. If you've ever been around here, when we go to the Civic Center for Easter, and she encountered the advocate, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, at the Civic Center during Easter, and she put words around it that I think will help us understand or identify. So give your attention to the screens and listen to Kimmy's story. For a long time, I just, you know, I felt this emptiness and I couldn't figure out what it was. But I didn't believe in God. Um, I questioned it a lot and I started to think maybe that's where I was going wrong. Um, I decided I was ready to at least try to attend church and see if there was something that could help me feel better, find some peace. And I had heard from a lot of people that they were going to Fountain Springs. And I know I kept asking everybody, oh, what do you think about it? How does it feel? What's the atmosphere like? What are the people like there? Um, and everybody said the same thing. It's wonderful. We love it. You know, we, we wouldn't change it for anything. We would never go anywhere else. So, on Easter of 2015, I decided, well, if we're gonna do it, let's go to Easter at the Civic Center, let's go try it out. And we went, and immediately, as soon as I walked in the building, there's, you know, surrounded by people telling me welcome and thanks for coming, and it was just a really good feeling right away. It was really welcoming. Pastor David got up to speak, and it was like he looked right deep down inside of me and saw everything I'd ever struggled with, and he put it right out there. Um, and I started to cry right away. <laughs> and I just sat there crying, and my kids kept looking at me, are you okay? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Um, and, you know, he invited anybody who wanted to stand up to do so. And, you know, I felt it, like there's just something inside of me pulling and, and screaming. This is it, you're home, you're welcome, it's time. So I stood up 
I love the words that she put around that. I think the words that you and I can identify with, I think each one of us have experienced that. Something, you may have called it something. You didn't know what word to call it or who to call it, but something tugged on you. Something directed your attention to something. Well, I get the privilege to tell you that I believe oftentimes it's the advocate. God's Holy Spirit drawing you and pointing your attention and walking along your side, giving you aid. See, some of you come and you'll hear a sermon or you'll be a part of a service and you feel like the whole thing was about you and like, like I read your mail and I don't read your mail very often. I mean, it's rare occasion. If you've ever been in a moment where you feel like God is pressing in on you, that it's gotten real personal real fast. Maybe you've just been out in the hills and you recognize in this moment, you're captivated by this moment that God is real. And I would tell you that's the advocate pressing in on you, saying, I am real. God is real. And he wants to walk with you and dwell in you.